Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. We, we aren't just in the end times. We're at the end of the end times. And if we say we stand on the Word of God, that's our base, that's our foundation, that's our life. And we have to believe what it says. Jesus said, don't be misled, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. Isn't that the truth? Even now, I mean, people are, are claiming things like this. And you will hear wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Right now, I mean, there's two active conflicts going on on the other side of the world. Ukraine and Russia, that proxy war right there. Then we really want to get biblical. Nations assembling against Israel. Trying to divide up its land. Well, that's prophecy. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. I mean, just, there's more volcanoes going off right now, right now, than like in the last 200 years combined. Pacific Ocean's boiling. <laughs> Earthquakes are happening all over the world. But was it uh, just right, just like last month in the Middle East, there's a big old earthquake, right? That shouldn't happen. That's like in the middle of a continental plate. That doesn't even make sense. I'm, I'm no geologist, but I'm pretty sure earthquakes happen where plates touch. Earthquakes happen in various places. But all this will only be the first of birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Hey, there's good news. We don't have to live here anymore. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Check. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Check. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Check. Um, sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Check. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom of God will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. Let me tell you, if every people group hasn't already heard the gospel of Jesus, we are within a decade of that happening. I'm not saying there's a time. I'm, I'm not saying, okay, at this time, you know, I'm not saying only God knows the time and the hour of his return. But I'm telling you, Within a decade, the gospel will reach every people group. We have it. Like people, like the gospel's getting into closed nations. There's revival happening in Iran. There's revival happening in China. There's revival happening all over the earth. We're closing the corners of the map with the gospel. Man, those who endure to the end will be saved. And what, what I want to do today, though, because Jesus, I say all this to say this, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to get his church. We, we can't live without this knowledge. This should change how we walk. This should change how we talk. We, we should be living like he's coming back today. So we should be telling people like he's coming back today. Because he can there's nothing holding him. I don't know if you, you realize the only thing that's holding Jesus back is his grace. 
and mercy for sinners. The prophecy's there. It's been check, 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 check. It's done. Jesus is coming back. When the Son of Man returns, verse 37 says, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. In those days, there before the flood, people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the moment Noah entered the ark. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Our job in the meantime is to tell people, let's wake them up. With that said, let's pray for Israel. Let's pray for them. We need to pray for this nation who is being bombed right now, completely caught off guard. I was talking to a friend of mine and he was like, man, I'm scared. I said, I'm not. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray. That doesn't mean like, what, what should we do in response to what's happening? We should pray. The Lord says, we'll bless those who bless you and we'll curse those who curse you, man. God, 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 ironically, he died for both sides of this conflict. We need to pray that the gospel penetrates the Israelis and the gospel penetrates Hamas. Father, we come before you today on behalf of your people that you chose to bring out the Messiah. And we pray that these attacks will stop in the name of Jesus. We pray right now, Lord Jesus, that your gospel, that you will raise up men and women who are followers of, uh, of Christ that will go in and share the gospel. I know that they're trying to silence Christians in Israel. They're trying to silence Christians all over the world. Lord, but let your truth ring out. Let it penetrate hearts. Lord, your gospel message is the power of God to save the lost. Lord, we know that there's power in the declaration of the gospel. We know that you can change culture. You can change nations when your church declares the gospel. Lord, we pray against, Lord, I pray that every one of the, all the bombs just, I pray that they just malfunction and don't work. I pray that you make every terrorist a coward and let him run from his assignment. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Man, I want to see Jesus on this throne so bad. I want, I want Revelation song to be my reality. But this has to happen first. You may be seated. You too must keep watch. For you don't know what day the Lord is coming. Keep watch. Get ready. He's coming back. He's coming back for a holy church, a spotless church. And here's the thing. He's going to judge us. Obviously, we're going to, if you have Christ in you, you'll get into heaven. But he's going to ask you something when you stand before God. And this is not going to be a pleasant time. Even for Christians, when you stand before a holy God, it's not going to be pleasant. If you've never experienced the fear of the Lord, you will then. And he's going to say, what have you done with the gospel? What have you done with the message of Christ? And he will reward us based on what we've done with the gospel. And if your answer is, well, I went to church my whole life and I sat on a pew, you're going to get in, but through fire. That's what the Bible says. I'm not making this up. You're not saved to be a pew warmer or a bench warmer. You are saved to share the gospel. To grow the kingdom of God. To usher in. How many of you guys want Jesus to return? Share the gospel. It accelerates it. It does. The gospel has to go out. Share the gospel. Support missions. Support missions. You might not be able to go where the gospel's not, but... We know people who are support missions. Man, we, like, we almost gave $100,000 last year in missions. 
And if you don't support missions, start supporting missions. Man, we're, we're able to um, not just support missionaries every month that go all over the world into some of the darkest areas, but because of that, we're also able to go downtown. Like this last Friday, we were downtown at First Friday, and there was a group of us from the church down there just loving on the community. And you're like, well, we are in the belt buckle of the Bible belt. We are, I mean, we're not just in the belt buckle, Ryan. We're in the rhinestone of the belt buckle of the Bible belt. Why are you down there, like, talking to people about Jesus? Everyone knows Jesus. Everyone and their mom knows Jesus down here. Well, let me tell you this. This is like the third time I've been down there and encountered someone filled with demons. So, you know what? People still need Jesus. This last Friday, man, it was crazy. It was so cool. Um, I, I, let me, dude, I don't know. Mr. Larry, dude, this guy is a genius about passing out Bibles and sharing the gospel. I loved it. I'm sitting back. I'm like, he passed out more Bibles in two hours than I have in the last three years. Like, it was amazing. Um, our, our, our team down there was just talking to people, praying with people. And this guy walked up. He's like, hey, remember me? I'm like, I do remember you. I thought you almost pulled a gun on me last time I saw you. Sorry, I got a hair right on my nose. I'm sorry. Okay, we're good. We're good, I think. I think. This is why you shouldn't grow a mustache, guys. Um, sorry. It's driving me nuts. Pause. I don't know what this is. Ah! Oh, well. It is what it is. But... Uh, now you guys are going to be focusing right here this whole time. Like, what is driving him nuts? It's all right. I don't even care. Um, so um, this guy's like, you remember me? I'm like, yeah, I do. I do remember you. Because last time he was he's filled with demons. And he, he had a full-piece jumpsuit on. And he reached across his body inside this jumpsuit. And he was acting a fool. And so at that point... I have limited training on this stuff, but I know how to disarm someone if I have to. I closed the distance and I grabbed his arm. <laughs> I said, whoa, 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 what are you doing? He's like, what, do you think I'm pulling a gun on you? He's, I was like, yes, I do, actually. <laughs> like, and uh, so we had this amazing conversation this last Friday. And um, let me tell you, it's uncanny when you talk to demons. And... He, uh, he, he took and, and he, straight, he straight looked at me and, and he, he said, you see me, don't you? I'm like, oh, I see you. He's like, you know that I know that you know. That's what he, I was like, yeah, I know. I said, I see a man tormented by demons. And, and he was like, yeah, there's a, he, this is what he said. He said, there's a lot of us down here. He said, and no one sees it, but you saw it. I'm like, yeah, because I want him out of you, because you need Jesus. And and so we're talking, and I said, I asked him, I said, are you working now? Because I'm trying to get through to the person. He said, I've been working longer than you've been alive. This guy's my age. I was like, at that point, I knew. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not dealing with the person. And so come to First Fridays, it's a hoot. I'm telling you, this is why we go down there, to witness and to have authority in Jesus to change our our city. That's our city. That's Columbia, Tennessee. The rhinestone of the belt buckle of the Bible belt. Guy filled with demons. I got so mad when I was talking to him. <laughs> I wasn't talking to him. I was, I was just like, he would, he would just stare in my eyes and he was like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And then he used to, I have, I have more authority than you. I'm like, oh, buddy, <laughs> you don't have any authority. And he's like, I said, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in me. He said, then raise me up. I'm like, number one, I can't because you're a demon destined for hell. So, and then at that point, it was about to go down. And we're, we, I don't know what was going to happen. I, but by the grace of God, Mr. Larry walked up and he said, pastor, I got to go. I'm like, okay, <sighs> breathe. And so... It, it was fun. It was fun. Um, but with that said, that's why we share the gospel in our town, because he needs hope. 
I've been praying for him ever since Friday. I'm like, God, he's so controlled. And he doesn't even realize it. So, with that said, we're jumping into a series. Well, actually, we're continuing a series called Church in Crisis. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 12 and 3, and then 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11. And um, we are... We're going to talk about wisdom today and choosing the right wisdom. And I pray that as we discuss this, what I pray is that we walk out of here making sure that we are listening to God's wisdom in our walk and not the world's wisdom. Because that's actually what's happening. We're stepping into a situation in the Corinthian church where the church is actually bringing godly and church issues to secular courts and asking the court to decide with worldly wisdom and demonic wisdom are the same thing, just FYI. If I say worldly wisdom, I'm talking about demonic wisdom. And if I say demonic wisdom, I'm talking about worldly wisdom. It's the same. It's rooted. It's controlled by the devil. So um, the church is bringing trivial issues to courts to be settled with worldly wisdom. And Paul is harder on them now than he was when he says expel the immoral brother because this shouldn't happen. And so with that said, before we get going, I, I have a couple things I need to tell you. First and foremost... We're working out the details. Men, I just want you to mark your calendars for the fourth Sunday, possibly the fifth Sunday. We're working out the details of when. Um, But, you know, the girls, the ladies, they're going to be painting pumpkins, and that's so precious. Men, we're going to go shoot shotguns. Um, We we don't do that stuff. Um, So we're we're working out the details of, of, of when. I think we have a place to shoot them. So, and if we don't, we're just going to go out back and we'll buy, it'll be fine. <laughs> no, but um, I want you, it will either be the fourth or the fifth Sunday of this month. We're going to have a hoot of a time. No one's going to get shot, okay? Larry? <laughs> um, with that, also, I want to tell you a joke. Um, actually, this is actually a true story. When I was in Africa, I went on a safari, and I got chased by a bull elephant in a safari vehicle. It scared the living daylights out of me, because he almost flipped the safari vehicle behind us, and we were backwards, so we couldn't even accelerate that fast. So, my, like, And then after that, I got to pet a lion, and it was, it was crazy. I walked into the cage, and um, as I walked up and I touched its back, I heard this really deep growl, and the lion tamer, he said, I want you to stand up, and I want you to back out of the cage slowly for your safety. And at that point, the lion stood up, and he backed out of the cage slowly for his safety. Oh, it's so stupid. I know. It was dumb. I, I really did pet a lion, though. It was about the size of my golden retriever, though. It wasn't a full-size one. All right, let's jump into this. In verse, in 1 Corinthians 5, he ends with this. He says, It is my responsibility to judge, it, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. We, we talked about this last week. Sinners are gonna sin. That's how they act. That's like, you have to remove yourself from this planet not to encounter sinners sinning. And we're we're supposed to interact with sinners. We need to have friends that are sinners that that need salvation. How do you think they hear the gospel? Through interacting with our lives. But the problem there lies is when the church looks like the world. That's when accountability and we have to have a relationship within the body to say, hey, you shouldn't live that way. And so we have to be the hands and feet of Jesus in that, in that moment to ourselves to help one another look like Jesus. 
verse 13 says, God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Then in verse 1, this is why I brought this in, because like sometimes when we're, when we're reading the Bible, we're real guilty about reading subheading to subheading, and sometimes we, we, don't, we don't read the portion before it, so I'm trying to give context so he, he says, expel the immoral brother. You need to be able to judge and have a relationship with your fellow believers on the inside of the church. That way you can actually help them look like Christ. And then he says this in verse one of verse five. He says, if any of you has a dispute with one another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you know that the Lord's people will judge the world. And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, what such matters? So you have to kind of look at the context once again. The chapter before, he's talking about sinful things in the church. He's not, he's not talking about legal things. He's talking about things that need to happen within the church. Because why? We have the mind of Christ within the church to deal with things within the church. And so... Um, therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do... You ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this is in front of unbelievers. He's saying, you guys are acting like the world, suing one another all the time about things that should happen inside the church to bring unity, and then all of a sudden, all of the dirty laundry within the church is shoved all over public courts. He's like, come on, guys. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you are completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers and sisters. And we step into a section of scripture that pastors right now in our culture avoid like the plague. So we're done. I'm joking. We're going to read it. Because we have to read it. Or if you're watching the word of God, and this is our standard. So you're triggered by this, or if you're watching and you're like, ah, I can't believe he said that. I didn't say it. God said it, and I'm with God. He's right. Amen. And if it steps on our toes, he's still right. If it bothers us, he's still right. If you disagree with God, he's still right. And it's not, God's not about to say this to make you angry even though it's hard and heavy to hear, he's saying this so we have a clear depiction of what we're not supposed to be as a follower of Jesus. In fact, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, he, he actually compares and contrasts the fruit of the Spirit to the acts of the flesh. The acts of the flesh are obvious, he says, and he, may, he gives the same list. It's the same thing, except in Galatians, he says disobedience to parents. Just FYI. Um, the acts of the flesh are obvious. But the fruit of the Spirit, a life that is governed by the Spirit, produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So he says this in verse 9, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those who do wrong. Well, Paul also says if you, if you know something is right and you don't do it, you sin. So it's not just... Those who do wrong won't inherit. It's, it's, it's people that should do right and they don't do it. They're also sinning. Who? He says, don't fool yourselves. 
Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Sometimes we can hear that middle one, practice homosexuality, and we forget about all the ones around it. We're like, well, I'm not gay. Well, yeah, but you cheated last week, <laughs> like, on your taxes, you know? Like, he said cheaters won't inherit. Well, I mean, I'm not a homosexual then. But you kind of practice idolatry. Like, you don't make Jesus Lord of your life. Just sometimes we, you know, we get caught up. The reality is there's a whole slew of things. And the reason why he says that, he said, this is not supposed to be what the church looks like. I don't care if culture says it's okay. I don't care. You know the end is coming. You know the end is coming. When, when cross-dressers become role models. You know Jesus is coming back soon. But our job is to love everyone and to share the gospel. They're going to hate us. Why are they going to hate us? Because we stand on God's word and we stand on his wisdom and we don't want them to die and go to hell. And, 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 and they hate us for that. Well, why can't you just let me live the life I want to live? Because I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to make Jesus the order of your life. And then he ends with this. This is so beautiful. Because he's telling us this, that what he just described was the Corinthian church. It wasn't like he just pulling things out of thin air. This is, he said, but you were what? He, he said, he says right here, and, and that is what some of you were. Whoa. He's talking about the church, but he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of the Lord our God. Wow. That tells me there's hope. There's hope for our nation. There's hope for people who are running from the Lord. There is hope for people who are practicing homosexuality or are drunkards or are male prostitutes or female. Like there's hope for cheaters. There's hope for idolaters. There's hope because some of you were once like that, but you were washed. The blood of Jesus washes us from all sin. So what are we going to talk about today? The really, the whole point of this section is, is why are you suing one another? Why are you bringing it before people that do these things? Their very way of life is a scorn to the church. Man, I, I prayed about this all week, and I'm like, God, I need something. And I, I think the real issue here and what's applicable to us is the wisdom. It's not, it's not the fact that the church had disputes. It's not the fact that they fought like brothers and sisters because they were brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not what ticked him off. What ticked him off is applying demonic wisdom to holy matters. And so... What I want, I want to give you three thoughts today. The last thought is kind of like the part of the third, but God's wisdom, the first thought I'm going to give you is God's wisdom is for God's people. God's wisdom does not make sense to the world. It does not make sense. It does not make sense to the world, but it does make sense to the church. I want to, right out of the gate though, I want to talk about what Paul's talking about. He's not actually talking about, he said trivial issues, Okay. That's what the church is suing one another over. He's not talking about legitimate things that are violations of the law of the land. Because we are to submit to the law of the land as long as it doesn't contradict the gospel of Christ. Okay? So if they tell us to quit sharing the gospel, I'm going to jail, guys. Just I'm telling you that right out the gate. You'll be able to find me at whatever. Um, but he's talking about like trivial things. So if, if, 
if, if you have a, if, if your, your spouse walks out on you, is supposed to pay child support and they're not paying child support and you need that to help support your family, he's not saying don't take that person to court. He's not saying that. that, that that's an issue that you can take to court because that's a legit thing. They're, they're violating the law. He's talking about when we get into a fight with one another or if, if we need to address like, well, that person cheated on, like they're, they're, they're cheating on me or whatever. And, and instead of bringing it to the church, to, to the leaders of the church to have godly wisdom sewn in, the, they're bringing it to demonic wisdom and demonic wisdom is going to lead them to destruction. And he's saying, stop that. God's wisdom is for God's people. The Corinthian church was using the world's wisdom to judge issues that shouldn't, the world shouldn't even know about. Godly wisdom, godly wisdom would say, forgive them. That's hard. Like, I was wronged by this person. They stole money from me. And, the, and godly wisdom might just say, you need to forgive them and let it go. Worldly wisdom or demonic wisdom might say, you have every right to feel the way you do. In fact, you should be embittered. You should spread rumors about them. You should build a whole case about them. Godly wisdom will set you free from the prison of bitterness, unforgiveness, and narcissism. Worldly wisdom will put you in those chains. Paul is telling the church we have to... He's saying, we have the mind of Christ. We have the wisdom of God. Why would you want an unrenewed mind to give you advice about things within the church? It doesn't make sense. It takes a lot of humility, though, to receive instruction of godly wisdom. Because godly wisdom will challenge your flesh. But because God's a good father, he will always tell us what we need to hear, not necessarily what we want to hear. That's what his wisdom does. But the church in, Corinthian, in Corinth was more concerned about being right than being like Jesus. Sometimes I think that could be our church, not our church, but our church, the church in the United States. Sometimes we're more concerned about being right than being like Jesus. There are some things you have to stand on the word of God. You can't compromise on, on certain things. That's a given. You have to stand there resolute. But other times, we're not here to prove people wrong. We're here to love people and share the gospel. And that's... The problem with worldly wisdom is it actually infiltrates the church and it lets narcissism into our life. And you guys, how many of you guys have ever heard the term narcissism? You guys, yeah. Narcissism is really bad in the American church and it infiltrates it all the time. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna define it for you. Narcissism is a self-centered personality style characterized as having an excessive preoccupation with oneself and one's own needs, often at the expense of others. You see, what was going on in the Corinthian church is they're suing one another because they're more concerned about themselves being right instead of letting God's wisdom prevail in their life and walking in humility. Often, people have an, another definition is people have an unreasonably high sense of their own importance. Well, let me tell you this. You can't, be a you can't be narcissistic and be like Jesus at the same time. It's impossible. You'll be filled with yourself. You'll be filled with the Spirit. You can't be filled with both. And the Spirit of God always makes you like Jesus. Paul says this in Romans 12. To combat narcissism in the church. He says this in Romans 12.3. 
because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give you each this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given you. That's, that's by definition, humility. Humility is actually having an honest opinion of yourself, recognizing where you're wrong, recognizing where you're weak, recognizing your faults, and also recognizing your strengths. Don't inflate your strengths and don't exaggerate your weaknesses. Just have an honest opinion. That's humility. And some people, when, when you walk in humility, it drives people crazy because they might think you're arrogant. Humil uh, humility and arrogance actually um, uh, get confused a lot. But arrogance is about self. Humility is just recognizing who you are. He says, don't, he didn't say don't think of yourself. He said, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. There is no room in the body of Christ for narcissism. We can't operate in God's wisdom and be constantly thinking about ourselves. God's wisdom is for God's people. God's wisdom makes you walk in humility. You can't give honest, um, godly advice if you're filled with yourself. Our job in our, on our daily walk with Jesus is to submit to his lordship. And we do that by spending time in his word, letting it transform us. We do that by praying. One of the things I've been praying a lot is, Holy Spirit, make me like Jesus. I give you full permission. Reveal to me things that don't make me look like Jesus. I want to look like Jesus. I want to act like Jesus. I want to smell like Jesus. Well, maybe not that one. He lived in the first century. I want to talk like Jesus. Like, I want to be like Jesus. And that's my heart. And my flesh does not want to be like Jesus. My flesh wants to be like Ryan. Well, I don't want to be like Ryan. He's an idiot. Jesus isn't, though. And so I need the Holy Spirit to help me. So, and, and you have to combat, every one of us have to combat narcissism. The Corinthian church was so preoccupied with themselves that they were suing each other to be right over trivial matters. Narcissism is so deadly because it, leech, it literally keeps you from seeing your own faults. You ever encounter a true narcissist? They, you can actually go up to them and say, hey, um, you, when you opened the door to your car, you actually dinged my car. I mean, you could be in the driver's seat when they dinged it. And they're like, man, I didn't even see it. Your car wasn't even there when I parked here. You're like, I was parked here first. Like, you can have video evidence, and they will not apologize. They're like, oh, man, I hope you didn't scratch my door. Like, wait, wait, wait a second. Wait, wait, you opened the... A narcissist will not apologize. They, they, they can't see the fact that they're wrong. And, and part of walking with Jesus is recognizing when you're wrong. It keeps you from humbling receiving correction. Narcissism will keep you from receiving correction. It keeps, it keeps you from humbly apologizing and asking others for forgiveness. A narcissist will recruit people to their side then turn others against the opposing party. So narcissists, will, and, and this is why it's so deadly to the church, because we're supposed to be unified. Jesus prayed, I pray, Father, that the church is unified as you and I are unified. But narcissism steps in and says, okay, this, this guy, you need to go talk to these people about that person, and you, but you need to be the victim. And so you get people on your side. So they, they form an opinion about a person they don't even know. So when they meet that person, they already have an opinion formed about them. And then, and, and then, and then suddenly there's division within the church. And then suddenly you have lawsuits against one another, all because someone wasn't humble enough to receive God's wisdom and correction. It says in Romans 12, 17 through 18, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's the call of the Christ-centered follower. 
is to live at peace with everyone. That means if you think you've offended someone, you go to them. I'm so sorry if I've offended you. Humble yourself. You can't be narcissistic and follow Jesus at the same time. You can't follow yourself and follow Jesus. They weren't walking in God's wisdom. God's wisdom is for God's people. It humbles us, and it's so good. It's so good because it draws us close to Jesus. The second thought I want to give you, and Paul hits on it, trusting the world's wisdom defeats us. It defeats us. He says in verse 7, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have already been completely defeated because they're listening to the wisdom of the world. They're listening to demonically charged wisdom. And here's the thing. It masquerades. The world's wisdom masquerades as wisdom, but it's actually rooted in fear. Think about it. I'm not making this up. Let's just go back in time for a second to 2020, the best year ever. You know, the gospel went further in 2020 than any other time in human history. It's crazy. But once again, that's how God makes all things work together. I love it. But they're like, oh, you need to put a mask on. You got you to gotta put a mask on. You got to get a, you, dude, you, you're going to spread this like crazy. And so wisdom would say, oh, I'm going to wear a mask. All right. More a mask. Then they discover, like, it doesn't really stop the virus. But they used fear masquerading as wisdom to get us to put a mask on. They're like, oh, you can't gather. You can't gather. You want to spread this. Well, it's spread like wildfire anyways. Then they're like, hey, do you have your 120th booster yet? Because this virus is really bad. It's killing 0.004% of the population. Like, wait, what? But it was wisdom. Demonically charged wisdom. Rooted in fear. God's wisdom is rooted in faith. Oh, he's getting really political this morning. I'm sorry. I'm just stating actually the obvious. I couldn't care less whether you guys got a shot or not. I'm just telling you, when you make a decision, don't make it out of fear. Because that's demonic wisdom. The Bible says God does not give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. We make decisions based in faith. We walk, we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. Faith, man, see, here's the thing. The enemy will give you fear. He gives it to you, but God uses fear. How does God use fear? That doesn't even make sense. He uses it to show you that this is a step of faith. So if you're really feeling fear, like, and the enemy tries to use fear to get you to stop. Oh, you need to stop. Oh, this isn't wise. You need to stop. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to stop. And he's trying to freeze you in fear, and he's calling it wisdom. But let that be proof that this is going to take faith to step over fear to walk in faith. And I, I'll give you a practical sense. When, when, when you're praying with someone, and the Lord's telling you, they're going to, I'm going to heal that person. Oh, let me tell you, there is fear. What if you didn't hear from the Lord? What if you're just making this up in your head? What, oh, what, if, what if works both ways? What if this is God telling me that he's going to heal someone, so I need to say, you know what? I might feel fear, but forget it. I'm doing it anyways. I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to step in faith and watch God heal him. God uses fear to show us that this requires faith. He doesn't give it to us, though. It takes faith to forgive someone believing God will bring justice. That's godly wisdom. It takes faith to trust God that he's going to move in an impossible situation where the enemy says, hey, 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 you don't need to do that. You don't need to go out. You, you need to stop right where you're at. He uses Fear and he masquerades it as wisdom. And we have got to have our eyes open. We have to have discernment now more than ever. I'm telling you, mark my words. Mark my words. They're gearing up. They're going to do more lockdowns. I don't watch news. I'm just telling you, they're gearing up and they're going to use fear 
to control the next election. Well, I don't care if you voted pink. Like, I'm just telling you, this is going to happen. And you, the church, have got to operate in godly wisdom and discernment. They're gearing up to have an excuse to send out ballots to people so they can control. I'm telling you, I don't, I, I'm tell, I don't watch the news. I'm just telling you, this is going to happen. And there's going to be some sort of virus. There's going to be some sort of thing. That way people can't leave. It's all about, and they're going to call it wisdom. And it's rooted in fear. And thus it's demonic. I'm just being real with you. And you need to have your eyes opened as the church. We've got to see things through God's perspective. Because at the end of the day, Satan doesn't care who's elected. He wants the church to be silent about the gospel. I mean, keep us in our houses, wearing a mask, covering our mouth. What better way to do it? But you, the church, listen to godly wisdom. The world's wisdom defeats us. But God's wisdom sets us free. It makes us look through the wrong lens. Demonic's wisdom will always push you toward division and bitterness and cowardice. God's wisdom will always push you to freedom faith, and faith and boldness. I was just speaking to a friend yesterday about what's happening in Israel, and he was afraid. I said, don't be afraid. That's not from God. God is coming back. God's wisdom changes perspective. It changes how you look at the world. It helps you to see through the enemy's lies. You can say, oh, yeah, I see what they're doing. Yeah, that, that, I, now I know how to pray. Lord, I rebuke, I, I pray that every attempt that they try to foil whatever, our freedom, Lord, I just rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Because God's about freedom. I'm not dependent on whoever's in the office. I couldn't care less. Actually, I do care. But, but Jesus is my king. And he orchestrates the leaders and nations at the end of the day. So if it's red, blue, pink, green, yellow in office, great. Jesus is still on his throne. But I do want to pray against the schemes of the enemy. And we can only do that when we're operating in godly wisdom and having discernment. But if we're just listening to the news and we're like, isn't that the new court system? Like we, we bring our stuff to the news and we listen to the. So the last thing I want to leave you with, and I could talk about this all day. I pray this is making sense. The world's wisdom produces sin. He's talking to the church, which is a body of Christ. He's essentially Asking them, why would you let someone who acts nothing like Jesus to make a decision about Jesus in your life? Why does he say, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit? Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or are greedy or are drunkards nor slanderers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the world's wisdom produces. That's the overflow of the wisdom. What does it look like today? That's a great question. I'm so glad you guys asked. Like, because it's really quiet in here today. Here, here, here's, some, here, here's what the world's wisdom looks like today in our, in our life. I'm, I'm going to give you three or four examples. Like, these are things I hear, and I think this is so stupid. Horrible advice, too. Like, it makes sense to the world. That's the part that's so dumb. There's... The Bible calls us sheep. And if people are dumb if they listen to this advice. I'm just going to be real. It's stupid advice. But then again, we're born again and we should have the mind of Christ. So we should see through this. But how many of you guys have ever heard, follow your heart? Follow your heart. Oh my gosh. How many marriages has that ruined? How many bad decisions have resulted from people following their heart? How many people are walking on this planet because two people follow their heart and no longer together? God's wisdom says, 
Your heart is full of every kind of evil. Why would you follow that? Of course Satan's going to say, follow your heart is full of evil. Of course. Uh, But that's the thing. It seems like, I mean, like, it seems like good advice until you actually take half a second and think about it. The Bible says, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. What it's saying is your, your life will follow what your heart does. So what you do is you guard it. You don't let evil into it. So you follow Christ. We're called. So we're called to listen to the Holy Spirit. We don't follow our heart. We walk by faith and we listen to the Holy Spirit. The only way you can walk by faith is listen to the Holy Spirit. So we're going to get real, real gritty here for a second. And if you guys don't know me, I've been, by now you should know that I'm, I, I will say anything to get a point across, essentially, because I want people to walk out of here with understanding. Kick him out and leave that fool. You guys have heard variations of that, right? Let's be real. Or kick her out, leave that fool. Leave him. He won't get a job. Leave him. She won't get a job. She won't work. Leave her. Let's get real for a moment. That seems like good advice. But it's demonic. God loves marriage. He loves it. He loves it to the point that he chose marriage to represent the relationship between Jesus and the church. We're the bride of Christ. Imagine if Jesus kicked us out every time we were stupid. Praise God he doesn't. But that's worldly advice. And it seems right, but it leads to sin. When two, and I'm not talking about non-believers, okay? When two Christ followers listen to the world's wisdom, this happens. They end up doing things. That shouldn't be done. The world is going to act like this. It takes humility and faith to trust and trust to work out a marriage from both parties. I would say Amy and I actually have a really good marriage. And we still fight and argue quite a bit. And it takes humility and faith from me to deal with her. No. And it takes a huge amount of humility and faith for her to put up with me. I, ironically, I actually asked her this week. You know, we've been married for ten and a half years. I said, have you ever, ever thought about leaving me? She's like, no, I would never leave you. I've thought about killing you. But like, uh, it's like, well, that's encouraging. Like I, I, I'm going to steal this from Pastor Annie, but if she ever leaves me, I'm coming with her. Like, but it takes it takes humility and faith. And and you know, but here's the thing: the the Lord actually says this in the Bible because He knows that there are going to be people that walk away from their faith that are in marriage, and they're going to walk away from the Christian in that marriage. And He says, "Let them go. Don't pursue divorce. Let them do it." He says, don't fight them on this. So even in God's mercy and grace, he makes concessions because he knows people are flawed. But that's God's wisdom. And it takes so much faith and grace. And if you've gone through this, I'm so sorry. But I know God, you could probably say God has been with me every step. To to step back and say, I'm going to let them go. Because you love them. But they've walked away from Christ first And then they walk away from you because they probably listen to demonic wisdom instead of godly wisdom. And coming to the church, how can we work this out? How can we be like Jesus even in our marriage? Here's another one. Do what feels good. How many of you guys have ever heard that? Do what feels good. 
Do you boo? Right? That's, that's a new one. Do you boo? Do what feels good. That's the dumbest thing ever. Let's just be real. This isn't even good advice. It doesn't even sound good. But this is what the world says. Do what feels good. Do what makes you happy. What feels good can kill you. Have you guys ever rode a roller coaster? That's awesome. It feels great. But when you're going 100 miles an hour in a car down a highway, up and hits your windshield at that speed. It feels good can kill you. A bug flies up and hits your windshield at that speed, man. Drugs feel good and kill you. Sex feels good, kill you. There's these things called STDs. There's a reason why God says, keep it within marriage. Feels good, it can kill you. It's horrible advice. But the world's wisdom will say, you deserve it. Horrible advice. You know what we deserve is death, but Jesus gave us life. Be true to yourself. Have you guys ever heard that one? Be true to yourself. Horrible advice. Because I know, apart from Christ, I'm a sinner, and the wages of sin is death. God's wisdom says, die to yourself. Not be true to yourself, die to yourself. When you're born again, you die to yourself. And then you receive life. Jesus says, if you want to hold on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. The world's wisdom is demonic, and those demons want to kill you. They want to kill you. Like, there's not one ounce of, God, of, of the world's wisdom that is actually good for you. It will keep you from walking in faith. It will keep you from listening to the Holy Spirit. It will keep you from receiving all that God has for you. And in the end, it will lead to sin. It might not lead to overt sin, like you might not ever go off and be unfaithful to your spouse or anything like that, but remember, the Bible says if you know you should do something and you don't do it, then it becomes sin. So if you know you should be sharing your faith and you're listening to, well, that's not my gift, uh, I'm afraid, and all this stuff, then you're actually sinning by not obeying. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey me. And, 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 and maybe the Lord's been saying, hey, you need to call that person to pray for him, or, or hey, you need to call that person to ask for forgiveness, or you need to, whatever that looks like, you need to, and you know you should do it, the world's wisdom would keep you from doing that. It's like, well, they don't even like you. Who cares what they think? Well, if God's telling you to do something, do it. Because he he's thinking about your good. He's thinking about their good. But praise God. Pray, praise God he doesn't end like this. What does he say? Some of you used to be like that. God's wisdom offers a way out. He says in verse 11, and this is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. Sanctified means you were set apart. And, and sanctification is a lifelong process of the Holy Spirit making you like Jesus. And when you give your life to Jesus, he starts sanctifying you. He starts washing those rough edges all around. He starts making you look like Jesus over the course of your life. When you're saved, the moment you get saved, the best part about justification is the Holy Spirit instantly makes you completely righteous and holy before God. What does he do? He covers you in the blood of Jesus and he washes you as white as snow. You might not act like Jesus instantly, 
Because that's a lifelong process of the Holy Spirit, that's sanctification. But justification, I once heard it said, it's just as if I never sinned. When God justifies you, he doesn't see one sin that you committed. All he sees is the righteousness of God in Christ. Praise God. He says, you were once like that. There's hope. There's hope. But we've got to listen to God's wisdom to receive that hope. God's wisdom. Listen to me. If you're watching online, last week, <laughs> this is why I say that. I want to be clear. This is a testimony. I'm gonna, I'll get back. Last week, we had a lady get healed. She was watching online. She couldn't get out of bed. She, she, she messaged us and she said, I couldn't get out of bed. My back was hurting so much. I was watching online and I did what, I did what you told the congregation to do and the Lord healed me. And I was able to instantly get out of bed and walk around. Praise God. So if you're in this room or you're watching online, God's wisdom leads to Jesus who gives us life and freedom from sin and death. Maybe some of us are here today and we've been, we've been skirting that edge between God's wisdom and the world's wisdom. Let me tell you, like, no shame. I'm not here to condemn you. God doesn't condemn you. The world's wisdom is really good at masquerading. And the enemy's been at it for a really long time. He's really good at tricking us into thinking it might even be godly wisdom. That's why we have to have our spiritual antennas up and listening to the Holy Spirit. There are times where a decision might seem godly, but it doesn't settle right in your spirit. And you're like, I don't know why this is wrong. Because the enemy's trying to convince you. He's trying to convince you that his wisdom is the right wisdom. Listen to the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do today is, is this, this is a very personal thing too. I, I, always, I will always have people available to pray with us. But I want us to take a moment and just, just pray. First of all, if you've been listening to the world's wisdom, humble yourselves and say, God, forgive me. I've been listening to the wrong wisdom. I haven't been standing on your word. I've been listening to the wisdom of this world and it's actually leading me to death. I've seen, I, I can see the overflow of that in my life. The wages of sin is death. It will lead to sin. The world's wisdom always leads to sin. And maybe you start seeing that manifesting and you just need to just take a moment, humble yourself before the Lord and say, God, forgive me. Maybe you haven't been listening to the world's wisdom, but maybe you still haven't been listening to God's wisdom. And you need to stop and just say, God, open my ears to hear you clearly because I want to walk in obedience to what you're saying. The question is never, is God speaking? The Holy Spirit's always speaking, always speaking to us. We, on the other hand, can get out of tune. You guys remember the old radios that you had to dial in and like it had that little red thing that moved back and forth? Sometimes like you get between radio stations and you can get like two signals at once and like you would, you would hear like back in black and then like Amazing Grace at the same time. And it, it, was, it was weird, but some of us are right there. And we just need to tune, be tuned a little bit more. The enemy's always trying to hijack that signal from the Holy Spirit. But greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you if you're born again. So just ask the Holy Spirit, tune me to your voice. Tune me to your wisdom. Help me to walk in step with you. The Bible says in Galatians 5, when we walk in step with the Spirit, we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. So if you're here and you need prayer, we're going to be up here.
If you just need to take a moment to pray, pray. If you need to give your heart to Jesus, I want to tell you how. The Bible says God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus came to earth and died for you in your place to three days later to set you free from the power of sin, death, and the grave. And he wants a relationship with you, and it's so simple. Jesus didn't complicate it. It's, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead. Forgive me of my sin and come be Lord of my life. If you say that and mean that, you're born again. Welcome to the family. But that's something you have to decide. That's something you have to do.